0: Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
1: All right, Tracy, so one of the first questions I always ask people, and you can go in whatever direction you'd like. Uh, having read your book, I you know, I think I might know a little bit how you, you're going to answer this, but what were you like growing up, and what were some of the things that uh, stood out about you, interests, uh, what drove you when you were growing up in Southern California?
0: So growing up in Southern California, um, I was bullied a lot. I talk about that a lot in my book. Um, I think as a result sort of of the bullying, um, I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself and who I was. I sort of became somewhat of an introvert. Um, a, a lot of my, the way I would sort of express myself or my emotions, I was a dancer, um, so that's sort of like how I got my emotions out, but I really grew up with like sort of a lack of confidence and somewhat shy because it's bullying.
1: And you mentioned that you, you had a love of politics early on and, you know, you hear a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people when they're younger, they, they love sports. or so they want to be a, a, a police officer, or, <laughs> you know, they want to be a movie star, but I, I guess it seemed like for you at a, at a younger age than normal, you kind of connected, to politics, uh, you know, as, as wide of a net as is, is that word cast? What, what drew you to politics at a young age?
0: That's a really good question. Um, I think growing up, um, my mom was sort of a news junkie, I guess. I always remember the news being on, um, sp- uh, specifically political news. Um, I don't know that we talked about politics a whole lot in our house. Um, But I grew up in sort of the age of of Reagan, right, like in the 80s. And he was very prolific and, you know, talked a lot. And I remember when the Challenger disaster happened um, and he gave that really famous um, Challenger speech. And I think for me, that made politics like real because in that speech, he was talking to us. We had watched the Challenger explode um, in our classroom. Um, I think I grew up in just in an environment where sort of all points of view were entertained. And I found that very fascinating. And then when I got into high school, um, we had this really, I guess, sort of notorious, uh, vibrant teacher who really made politics sort of come alive to a lot of us. Um, and that was sort of my first foray into it.
1: One of the things, and, and you mentioned getting bullied, uh, at the very beginning, one of the things you mentioned in the book, and and just you know, as a reminder, the book, "The Unexpected Spy: From the CIA to the FBI, My Secret Life Taking Down Some of the World's Most Notorious Terrorists." Uh, it's it's an amazing book. I mentioned to you before we started. I am a slow reader. I got through this book about as quickly as any book that I've ever read. Uh, but you, you do talk about the, the the theme of getting bullied is woven kind of throughout. I I was really impressed when I read it it never seemed, and, and you kind of, I guess, alluded to the idea of fitting in, but it seemed like it, instead of wanting to fit in and totally compromising who you were to do that, you were kind of on the other end where it's like, no, this is me, I'm going to keep being me, and you resisted that urge. It, it seemed like maybe I'm, I interpreted the book wrong, but uh, if that is in fact the case, where did you get that? Because that's that's something that you don't see a lot of people Uh, have the discipline to do stay true to themselves as opposed to resisting the urge to fit in when they're growing up?
0: You know, that is actually such a good question, Jared, um, because yes, I grew up without a whole lot of confidence, but at the same time, you're right. I did have this confidence, right, to sort of not succumb um, to, I guess, the peer pressures, if you will, um, of being able to fit in. I think for me, Um, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was bullied in elementary school and junior high. And then in high school, I can remember sort of this tipping point where I was a freshman and I was at a party, um, and it was a cool party, right? The cool kids had sort of invited me to, and it was so exciting. Um, and I was offered drugs at that party. And I remember, um, calling my mom from the person's house and asking my mom to pick me up, uh, because I knew that that was wrong. Um, and I think that was a turning point for me. Right. I could have taken the road that both people would have traveled and become one with the cool kids. Right. And I decided not to. And I really I wish I could tell you where that sort of moral compass or whatever came from. I'm going to guess it came from my parents. But I don't remember ever having a conversation with them, you know, sort of sitting down saying, don't do drugs. Right. That kind of conversation. Um <laughs> I'm guessing it came from them because they obviously modeled really great behavior. Um, But I don't remember a specific time where we had that conversation, if that makes any sense.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, Okay. So I I just, for, for people listening, there, there are going to be questions I'm going to ask Tracy and, and I guess there's a chance that, you know, maybe she can't go into everything because of her, uh, her, her loyalty and responsibility as a, uh, at one point, a, a CIA operative, uh, I'm, I, you know, I think after reading the book, I, I have a sense of what you can and, and can't answer. But uh, sure. I, I guess before we we get into maybe book specific questions, without you know preventing people from feeling the need to read the book, what was that process like? What what led you to decide to want to write the book? And in, in any way, you're very honest and, and raw, and a lot of what you shared was that a therapeutic experience, or how would you characterize that experience? Um, so writing the
0: book. It for me, I don't want to ostracize any of your listeners. Um, so for me, uh, obviously I've been out of the agency for a while and my husband had always been bothering me. I met him actually a month after I left the FBI. Um, so he never knew me in that time, but he had always sort of bothered me, I guess, to write a book, um, about my experiences. And I never did. I never did. I never did. Cause I, I'm actually rather private, uh, of a person. And, I became very upset in 2016, and I decided, and I think I allude to this in my book about you sort of stop bitching and start a revolution. Uh, One thing my parents have always instilled in me is is stop complaining and do something about it. And so I just became very, very frustrated with the political climate um, and the way that the CIA was being treated. Um, And so I started writing, actually. I started writing for some newspapers, and that was a way to get my feelings out, I guess. Um, and my husband was like, hey, you know, you really should do this now and, and write a book. And, you know, you should do it for our daughter, too. So she, she sort of has this, um, I guess, journal of what you did uh, with your life. And I think that was really the impetus that got me to start writing the
1: book. So you, you mentioned the the way maybe the CIA is framed and, and one of the, uh, I guess, one of the, the periods in which, perhaps the cia was uh unfairly judged or criticized was uh in response to 9-11 and you talk about that in the book how uh you know people look at that unfairly so as as you know the cia's fault and and whatnot and you're a part of the cia uh at that point how did you cope with that because i know tracy from my experience doing sports radio and tv uh (laughs) We get a lot of what we say twisted and misconstrued, and it is so tough for me to not want to like punch a hole through the computer and like tell these people no, this is that's not at all what I said. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I, you you dealt with that on a much more serious and larger <laughs> scale. So how did you cope with that, and, and how did you kind of stay in your lane and realize, hey, I just got to put my head down and continue to do the great work that I know we're doing here.
0: So maybe bullet, maybe being bullied helped with that. I sort of just drown out the noise I always have. Um, even if people have criticism, even about my book, um, for me, what I do is always try to wish them well, uh, because to be honest with you, they look worse than I do if I have sort of a bad comeback to them. Um, you know, I think with the CIA and the blame of September 11th, it's very easy to play, you know, Monday morning quarterback. Right. And to, uh, could have, would have, should have. And the reality is, is if we, if I sat around and listened to the people that were criticizing us and criticizing what we were doing, then that would seriously inhibit my ability to try to stop future attacks. And I think I owed that to the American people to not sit around and sort of wallow in the frustration that I felt.
1: So a part of the book, and you don't go into detail of the conversations, but you do share some experiences and, and uh, I guess, uh, parts of your responsibilities in which you would talk to some of the most dangerous people in the world and you would you know be in a room with these people, uh, terrorists from various parts of the world. How, what, it, what would you do to stay calm in those situations? I imagine it's, it would not be very hard to be nervous Uh, but you need to be calm and poised having these conversations in which you're trying to gain information. Uh, Was that natural for you to just walk into these rooms and be calm or or how did you evolve in that regard?
0: So I think it was natural for me. I think it's just an inherent part of my personality. Um, You know, a lot of people always ask, like, what do I need, you know, qualification-wise to get into the CIA? And I mean, certainly college education, all of that, but a lot of it is your personality, right? Um, If you're naturally just, person that like overreacts and is really nervous and anxious all the time then you're probably not going to be the best fit um right for for working there so for me part of it was just my personality but the other part too is I think I had the fact that I was very young um on my side uh I think you know in your early 20s maybe this is right or wrong I don't know but you have a sense of like invincibility right about you and you're not thinking about the dangers of the situation the dangerous person really that's
1: sitting in front of you. And I think that worked in my favor tremendously. Yeah, it is, it is crazy that, uh, you were, you were fresh out of college dealing with, you know, I mentioned some of the most dangerous people in the world. This was not, uh, as a, you know, a 35 year old seasoned veteran of, of living life. This was, uh, shortly after graduating from, uh, I'm biased in saying this, and and you are too, one of the best schools in the country, USC, uh, (laughs) which is amazing. And, I guess I'm curious, it, it's important for you in any, in any situation like this, you're interviewing someone, whether you're interviewing in the setting in which you did in which you're dealing with dangerous people trying to gain information or just you know something like this that we're doing or, or any conversation, it's important to establish a connection. So I guess I'm curious, how would you try and establish a connection with someone who you knew hated you and deep down you didn't think too highly of them? <laughs> And then I guess on top of that, how do you apply some of those uh, ideas in just regular life and in, in dealing with people?
0: So I think one thing my, always, my husband always tells me is I'm, I'm actually a really good judge of people the instant that I meet them uh, face-to-face. I can really kind of tell what p- makes a person tick right from the beginning. And that is actually a very critical tool to have in the agency when you're recruiting assets. And to be honest with you, prisoners are no different than assets, right? You're trying to recruit them to be nice to you and give you information. And so for me, um, one of the things I would try to establish was not commonality. I know that I don't have anything in common with them, Um, but just the fact that I, I cared and listened to what they had to say. So for me, it was just a process of getting to know them. Um, getting to know what they like, getting to know what they dislike, and then from there, maybe the next day, bringing them something that they like if it's a treat, and that helps establish a sense of rapport. Um, and you know, the rapport isn't about getting them to like me. I really don't care if they do or not. But the rapport is about getting them to give me information. And if that means that I have to bring a t- piece of fruit or candy or whatever it is that he likes, then that's that's what I'm going to do.
1: All right, I, I want to get into one of the you know, you mentioned the reasons why you wrote the book. And, and one of the themes is, you know, empowering women. And, and I want to get to that. But before we do, uh, you know, you your role in the CIA is, is intense. And in some ways, and you kind of mentioned this, it, this, the switch never really flips off at, at any point. I guess it can't. But you still, you know, would talk about the opportunities to maybe separate from work for just a bit or watch a mindless TV show instead of the news, <laughs> uh, or, you know, when you would travel, you know, the, the night before a, a major moment or meeting, you, you try and sightsee how important were those moments and the ability to find some sense of levity in a job that is as intense. And, uh, maybe even at, at times in, in a, in a good way because of the impact you can have, but burdensome is is your role with the CIA?
0: I think that that's essential, in my honest opinion. I I think a lot of people view that as frivolous or not serious. But the thing is, is being able to clear my head um, gets me in a better place to do what I need to do before an important meeting. And if that, you know, sightseeing or watching a mindless TV show is viewed as frivolous, um, it really does have a purpose, at least for me, in terms of getting my head in the right space. Because if I never, ever, ever, ever turn it off, I'm never going to approach something with fresh eyes and a, kind of that 360 perspective. That, in my opinion, is, is extremely important at the CIA.
1: Okay, so Tracy, you you shared some stories throughout the book of situations in which uh, that that help illustrate the obstacles that women have to deal with and overcome, even in situations where you would think there's no way in heck these people at this level with, you know, what's at stake would demonstrate any sort of sexist thoughts or actions. But that just that isn't always the case. And, uh, you know, I encourage okay. people to read this book for a number of reasons, but this is certainly one of them. It, it's, you know, it's mind boggling, really. Uh, so I guess my first question is we kind of go down this path. Who were some of the inf- uh, the women who really impacted you and, and influenced you growing up and, and maybe even once you got to the CIA?
0: Um, so for me, I just want to be clear, the CIA was a great environment for females. At least that was my lived experience. It was Really, that's the eye where I had Sorry, a lot yeah, of
1: issues. and I, I definitely didn't want to <laughs> insinuate just, that either. My, I apologize. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. Oh, no, no, it's okay. Um, so for me growing up, uh, definitely my mom, I'm, I mean, was just a huge uh, influence to me. Um, she's a really strong person, um, and I think all I ever want, you know, is to please her, and, and I just, I adore my mom. She pretty much means everything to me, and um, so... I'd say she was my biggest influence growing up. And also my grandmother, Uh, my grandma spent her life traveling, you know, the whole world. And so I think that's what kind of got the travel bug, I guess, uh, lit in me Um, at the agency. uh, You know, I can't be super specific about the other employees, but um, I would say, I met so many women that were my same age um, and sort of my same state in life that I'm still friends with them today, and they were bridesmaids um, in my wedding. And I would say they it's a place where women supported each other and sort of lifted each other up.
1: And, and I want to follow up with a question you can't answer, but there are a lot of women <laughs> who are doing you know amazing things uh, around the world in this country, and and I know through your your book you you were able to meet some incredibly successful powerful people is there someone is is there a a a woman you were able to meet uh you know whether it's a public figure or someone who is just special to you through your role that was just you know whether it was a tremendous experience or not it was a cool like check off the list type of deal like I got to meet and spend or have a conversation with this person
0: that's a great question um there are two. I just can't really be specific about that's them. That's fine, I'm yeah, so yeah. Sorry.
1: Nope. That's okay. all good. I, I figured I knew there was a risk in asking that. I just I, I didn't know. Okay. Um All right. So you and and to kind of fast forward after your time in the CIA you, you referenced you went to the FBI, not the not the greatest experience. There's stories about that in the book. Uh, and then you, you spent the last Almost a decade, or right around a decade, teaching at Hockaday, which people in DFW probably are familiar. It's uh, you know a, a renowned all-girls school in the Dallas area, and you, you kind of got to fulfill a lot of what you you laid out uh, in, in the book of of empowering women and, and sharing that you know these opportunities are out there and, and they're possible. Uh, I, I I'd hate to ask you to compare experiences. But how rewarding has your post CIA FBI life been uh, in in getting to work with these these young women uh, at such an influential age? I guess uh, to be able to give them the type of education that you know you don't typically get in a, a classroom setting, especially as you go through high school.
0: Oh, it's been extremely rewarding. Um, you know, one thing I've sort of realized is that you know, typically, I think people look at, you know, the intelligence world and the law enforcement world as these male dominated careers. And I think that is probably why women are underrepresented in them. I know it sounds I'm oversimplifying it. But, you know, females don't see other females in these roles or these jobs, they're less inclined to seek them because they don't view them as applying to them. And so I think being able to be in a a school that's all girls um, and teaching 11th and 12th graders and creating a class on espionage, foreign policy, and national security. And seeing so many of them go into those careers um, has been extremely rewarding because it shows me that, you know, they're, they're changing the gender narrative and they're seeing themselves in these careers. And I'm not saying that men shouldn't be in them. They absolutely should. But we need to kind of even out the gender disparity because females offer a different perspective just as males offer a different perspective and i think both of them are
1: needed. Are right, you you encountered i mean i guess anyone does but you maybe uh in in this case it's it's a little more amplified with your your career what what's you encountered people with different backgrounds different perspectives whether they were you know quote unquote teammates of yours at the at the CIA or FBI or or people uh, who were were trying to do terrible things uh, around the world? You were around a bunch of different people, different perspectives. How has how have those experiences influenced you, and in maybe how you carry yourself uh, having, uh, I guess, consumed so many different perspectives over the course of your life?
0: I think the biggest influence has been sort of my time in the Middle East and my experience with with Islam and uh, with Muslims. I think for me, I grew up as a Jew um, and not a super religious Jew. I'm I'm definitely more reformed. But I had almost no exposure to to the Islamic world at all. And the exposure that I did have was really just one-sided. And so I think I took Islam when I was in college and I really enjoyed it a lot. And so I think for me, being able to be in those countries and meet, people there was just this eye-opening experience that really made me have a 360 view of sort of the you know issues surrounding the two religions um and it was it was fascinating
1: what would you if you were talking to people about that specifically and and understanding that you know not everyone from a certain country is horrible not everyone who uh, is a part of a, a certain religion is horrible, and, and you know we, we like to generalize sometimes. Like, what would the, I guess the, the the message be that you would like to deliver to people, and just uh, understanding from your experiences what what stood out and what's important as far as humans treating humans properly.
0: The only way, in my opinion, that I think you know you can have a true unbiased perspective is you have to go meet the other person or try to walk in their shoes, um, and see things from them, their perspective, And I think we have to realize that, like, I really do think, um, unfortunately, religions, people, uh, races, ethnicities sometimes are defined by like their lowest common denominator. Um, and that's not fair. Uh, terrorists, the way I view it is every religion has its extremists, Christians, Jews, Muslims, everyone has as extremists. Unfortunately for Muslims, their extremists did something huge, right? That had worldwide sort of implications. Um, And you have to realize that they're not the majority of the population. I think that's a really hard thing for people to sort of wrap their brains around sometimes.
1: I I don't want to, you know, I've tried to be delicate and not asking too many book-specific questions so as to give people the idea they don't need to to read it, but you you did share towards the, the end of the book, your experience, uh, transitioning from the CIA to the FBI and, uh, without wanting to lead you down a a certain path, I guess, what would you be comfortable or or willing to share you know, about your, your FBI experience? Because it, it, and you referenced it earlier, it wasn't as great of an experience as you had with the CIA. Uh, so I guess what, what, Years removed now from that, what are, what are still some of your takeaways?
0: Um, I think my biggest regret, so I I left the CIA really just for the simple reason. I didn't want to travel overseas anymore. I absolutely loved it. Um, I just didn't want to travel out, um, overseas. Um, and so I think for me, uh, the biggest takeaway that I had is you can't assume that two agencies are exactly the same because they're not. (laughs) Um, But I think for me, what I had wished that I had done more with FBI was fought back. Um, I don't think I fought back enough. I sort of just kind of caved and and, and left, right, and quit when I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, And I really wish that I had had fought back.
1: All right, Tracy, you you then go from the FBI after a a career in the CIA and, and you transition. We talked about teaching and, and, and things that, I guess, don't require you to, uh, you know, deal with dangerous people as much and, and uh, you know, act as a, a spy, so to speak. What was that transition like for you? Not, not the transition from the CIA to the FBI, but the transition from the CIA and FBI to, I don't know, is, is it civilian? I don't know, like, what the proper characterization <laughs> is, but, you know, I guess a, a different line of work.
0: You know, it really wasn't that hard. Um, The biggest, I guess, shock to me, though, because obviously I've been in a very insular environment, right? You know, CIA, I'm around like-minded people. FBI, I'm around like-minded people. For me, because I went into my master's of education, what I realized, though, was some of my professors did not like me because of what I did. Um, They had a lot of preconceived notions, not all of them, but some of them had some preconceived notions about torture and this and that and just stereotyped me from the beginning. Um and I was not prepared for that because I just had been around people that didn't judge me for that. Right. And so um I would say that was sort of the biggest adjustment.
1: Do you still feel like you deal with that? Like when you when you tell people I don't know how often you just offer up in, in random conversation. I used to work <laughs> in the CIA, but do you feel like you still have people look at you sideways because of that or is that not as yeah, much of an issue today? Well,
0: I Frustrating for me because if I tell people I'm a teacher, which is, yeah, I'm a teacher, I'm really proud of it. People are very dismissive of me. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." And they just don't take me seriously or don't think I'm anything smart or interesting. But then when I tell them, you know, that I worked with the CIA, FBI, then I all of a sudden command respect from them. And that actually is what's more frustrating uh, to me is that I think (laughs) – you should respect everyone and everyone, anyone, no matter, you know, what their career choices, um, are. So sometimes that's really what will frustrate me the most. Um, but, but, but that's about it.
1: Okay. So you mentioned throughout, uh, the book, you know, dealing with failure and there, there's one specific, uh, part of the book i I noted the the page and i I highlighted some stuff where you you felt like you know maybe you failed uh how do you deal with whether it's in the cia or just in life like what are some of the things that you've learned and the tools you use to deal with failure and, and overcoming failure to to get back on the horse so to speak and keep doing whatever it is you're you're trying to pursue there's
0: always tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I think, I know that sounds like oversimplify, um, but for me, there's always tomorrow. There's always the next day, right? You can always do better, fix it, do it differently the next day. That's how I've always looked at it.
1: Was there anyone who like in, in, in that regard, just cause I think that's such an important part of, you know, living daily life is, is you you know, whether it's in your, your marriage, your, you know, work with friends, like you're, you're going to make mistakes and, and the mistakes that you, uh you know, you make maybe today don't have the same consequences, certainly, I know you know my mistakes, thankfully that you know they don't have the same consequences as as maybe the mistakes you you faced as potential mistakes in the CIA, but who was there someone who really helped you in that regard, even if you can't put a name to it like were there the people who sort of mentored you as to hey, oh yeah, Tracy, for you're sure. okay, like what were I guess how how did those? conversations or or what was that process like for you to get to where you you have this great perspective on overcoming failure versus maybe where you were when you first joined the CIA
0: I always I don't know that it was CIA specific I think for me I'd always overcome failure I don't think that that was a CIA specific thing
1: Okay, so it's just something that, that you, you felt like you had a really strong grasp of through experiences growing up and, and, you know, pre-CIA. Yeah,
0: we just didn't dwell on it. You know, my parents were always like, okay, get back up, figure it out. <laughs> you know, we just didn't dwell on it.
1: Bullying. We, we talked about it earlier. Uh, you then went back after your time in the CIA and the FBI and you taught. And, uh, you know, I... you you taught at high school. I'm sure that bullying went on. I don't know how much you were able to see it, uh, you know, when you were in the classroom, but what, I guess, what would your, your, your takeaways be from your experiences and, and for someone who's listening who maybe is getting (laughs) bullied and and, and maybe even adults who feel like they're getting bullied, like how did you learn to deal with that? I know we kind of talked about how you, you stayed true to who you were, but, Uh, years removed from getting bullied growing up, what are some of the things that that you think are important, especially now having spent a decade teaching and and being around high school girls who I imagine engaged in some form of bullying, whether you saw it or you didn't?
0: So I'd say find someone who can be an advocate for you. I never really had anyone that was sort of a strong advocate for me, Um, but I try to be a very strong advocate for my students. Um, and to create sort of a safe space where they can come and just talk and not be judged. So I think that's sort of my biggest piece of advice um, to them.
1: And, and did you did you see that at Hockaday and, and did you step in or did yes. you feel like oh, you yeah. had the opportunity to kind of be an advocate for some of the, the young women who were maybe on the receiving end of that?
0: Yes, I think they would tell you that
1: I, I was. <laughs> I imagine that, you know, as much as the lessons in the classroom, that was that was probably really rewarding for you to to kind of be able to to write some of the wrongs that maybe you experienced growing up.
0: Yes, yes, I
1: definitely so. Okay, so uh, did I did I see or read that that your book is is maybe going to become a TV show?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, so Ellen Pompeo has a production company called Calamity Jane um and she uh purchased the the rights to it to uh develop it into a, a tv show but obviously right now everything's sort of on <laughs> on hold given the the current climate so i don't have unfortunately too many updates to to give you with that i'm so sorry but it has yes it's been um purchased for development
1: okay we will uh we will be tracking that and, and sharing yeah. updates <laughs> uh when we get them uh finally yes. The last question I have for you, Tracy, I, I always like to ask this too, for people who have achieved at a high level, what, what's next for you? Like what, what, when you assess goals and, and now you've got a family, you've got a, a, a husband, you got a daughter, uh, so you can go in any direction you'd like with this, but what are, what are your goals moving forward what are things you'd still like to achieve?
0: I think one of the things I'd really like to do is to get involved with national security and foreign policy, like policy making and policy writing. Um, that is something I've always wanted to do, uh, but I've never really found a way to get involved in it. But I will. I promise you,
1: I will. Okay. <laughs>
0: um, so so that's really something that I would like to do.
1: And and I lied. I said one la- la- last question. I got one more. You, you mentioned uh, sure. you're, you know, you, you do still uh, do a lot of work to, to help empower women, uh, and, and, and give them the tools or the, you know, the, the inspiration to go out and, and accomplish amazing things for anyone listening. Are are there things that you'd like to share about that? You know, things, maybe ways women can get involved or or ways people can kind of support some of your efforts and what you're doing.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I sit on the board of directors of an organization called Girl Security, and they are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization uh, that provides national security, foreign policy, uh, curriculum to girls in public and private schools nationwide. They do war gaming. Um, they do all kinds of really great hands on things to show young women like really grades kind of eight, eight, eight through twelve. Um, that these are careers that are feasible for them, and they provide them with mentors, you know, whether it be the military, defense, um, intelligence, State Department, diplomacy, what what have you. Um, it's just an amazing organization, and I really encourage people to check it out.